increasingly difficult to achieve. Therefore, more money everywhere, and it doesn't turn up in real production apart from kind of V-shaped recoveries from disease. Uh, then obviously it's going to turn up in asset prices, and what some asset prices have to become more ridiculous than all the asset prices, which are ridiculous anyway, <laughs> and that's called Tesla. Uh, Barry, I know you've always been a fan of Tesla as a company, but the share price, it seems to be almost completely detached from reality now, doesn't it, in the underlying business? Absolutely. I think it's a classic bubble. However, it is a transformative perception that we're headed towards electric vehicles and that Tesla has a big head start. But it, it's, it's, it's impossible to explain what's happened to that share price. Thank you all very much. You heard there our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Wood, Gavin Parry, Managing Director at Parry International Trading, and David Roche, President of Independent Strategy. 5, 6, 7 a.m. Radio 3. The government is conducting a public consultation on the 2020 policy address. Please share your views on different policy areas. We are willing to listen and engage. For details, please visit the website www.policyaddress.gov.hk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Quick final look at Asian markets, which are all pushing further ahead this morning. The SX200 in Australia uh, is now up one and a third percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up about 0.6%. We're seeing gains of about a third of a percent on the Cosby uh, in South Korea. Looks like, though, the Hang Seng Index is going to open flat this morning at around about 25,200 on the index. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work coming up after the news. The weather forecast, mainly fine and very hot apart from isolated showers and thunderstorms the very hot weather warning is in force once again maximum temperature is going to be about 34 degrees in the urban areas and it will continue to be very hot with isolated showers in the next couple of days temperature right now 29 degrees 80 percent relative humidity 8:32. here's samantha butler with the half hour news President Trump says he will rebuild the troubled city of Kenosha during a brief visit in which he described several nights of violence there as domestic terror. Mr Trump ignored pleas from local Democrat leaders to stay away amid accusations that the trip was an election stunt. The president didn't visit the family of an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake, who was shot and paralysed by a white police officer last month, the event which triggered the violence. Mr Trump said ongoing protests in Portland could be halted in a similar way. You have to be decisive and you have to be tough and you have to be strong and you have to be willing to bring people in. In Oregon, we have Portland, which is just every night, 93 nights. And every day we call, do you want us? Do you want us? And last night they attacked very viciously the mayor's house. And we were ready to go in just in case if it got any worse. But it was bad. The U.S. Defense Department says China is working to double its arsenal of 200 nuclear warheads by the end of this decade. In its annual report to Congress on China's military, the Pentagon says Beijing is likely to seek to boost its military forces by mid-century to equal, or in some cases, surpass the U.S. military. Ethnic Mongolians have been protesting in northern China over an education measure that cuts down the number of lessons taught in the Mongolian language. Under the new rule, the three main subjects in Inner Mongolian schools will now be in Mandarin. It's unusual to see protests in the remote region, but demonstrators say the decision threatens their cultural identity.
The French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo has republished controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, saying it was indispensable to do so ahead of a crucial court case. Fourteen people go on trial in Paris, charged with aiding the Islamist gunman who murdered 12 people at the Charlie Hebdo offices five years ago, ostensibly to avenge the Prophet. Speaking at a news conference in Lebanon, President Macron said it wasn't his place to pass judgment on what the press can and cannot publish. I think that a president of the French Republic never has the right to pass comment on the editorial choice of a journalist or an editorial staff, never, because there is a freedom of the press that you quite rightly care deeply about. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Tewerton, your co-host today, Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, back to school and mass testing in the community. The Education Bureau on Monday announced the phased resumption of classes at schools starting from September the 23rd. Education Secretary Kevin Young said a gradual resumption of face-to-face instruction became possible as the COVID-19 outbreak eases. Apart from catching up with the syllabuses, what other measures schools are preparing for the return of the students? Uh, What are parents expecting from the openings? Have schools now arranged for concerted e-learning? And what happens to those arrangements? After nine, universal voluntary coronavirus testing saw 126,000 people tested yesterday. Officials said about 670,000 people had registered online to take part over the next few days. We'll be talking about latest developments there, the push and pull factors for people to take part. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments. Our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can comment there. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Give us a call. We'll put you on air. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, mass testing later with Dr. Kwokkar Key and Professor Benjamin Cowling. Uh, for the first topic, uh, resumption of schools, we're joined now by Dr. Esther Ho, Principal of Carmel Allison Lamb Foundation Secondary School, and uh, Mervyn Chung will be joining us later as well. Let's just start off with a, with an email. This is from uh, Mr Tang, who uh, is a teacher. Uh, Mr Tang says, At secondary school level, parents are generally worried about kids' academic performance, specifically parents of children in three particular levels are concerned about additional things. Parents of S1 students worry about whether they can adapt to a new school environment. Parents of S3 are concerned about their kids' choice of elective subjects at senior secondary education. And parents of S6 want to know if their kids can be enrolled onto their preferred programmes at university. From the perspective of schools, students' attitude towards learning and schooling is a prime issue after prolonged suspension of face-to-face lessons. Teachers also want to build rapport with students, identify their emotional problems and provide early intervention. Kids value peers and friendship at puberty, so they should be looking forward to coming back to school. However, studies-related pressure may put some off, so important for different stakeholders such as teachers and parents to help kids make the transition back into face-to-face interaction. One way of doing so is to make e-learning more interactive by engaging participants to talk more in live-streamed lessons. Class teachers should also show care for students' emotional well-being and encourage them to follow the structured routine of e-lessons. That is from Mr Tang. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, your observations always particularly welcome. Uh, uh, Esther Ho, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank good you morning. much indeed for, for, for joining us. Um, so 
my impression is that the teachers have, and schools have kind of got set for e-learning and now they're not going to do it. <laughs> is that right? Have you got to sort of uh, rethink everything for this term? Yeah, so it's a huge challenge for our educators in Hong Kong, uh, for parents and for students uh, also. So um, about a month ago, that when we probably know that probably the new terms will begin with doubt, face-to-face -face lesson in school, that we have stopped planning ahead for various measures. Uh, what I think is most crucial is um, uh, whether uh, educators, uh, including teachers and school leaders, really understand students' needs. In particular, the, uh, and, uh, the, the emotional support, um, the preparation for online lessons, and, uh, uh, and we also care about our teachers, especially on the, uh, how uh, we build a uh, a consensus among uh, the uh, teaching community with teamwork so that we can provide mutual support to teachers and students in terms of uh, 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 learning uh, online and uh, the, uh, the preparations for class and school consumption. Now, if, if, the, if the teachers are meant to be looking out for the kids, and I've, I've got kids doing school at home, and I, you know, I kind of watch them, and they're, they're, my, my daughter now is quite serious about telling me when she's in class, which wasn't the case when they started this. Now, you know, she's like, you know, don't bother me. I'm in class. Um, but if the teachers are looking out for the students, you're a principal. How are you looking out for the teachers? How are you keeping track of whether or not they are coping with the uh, with with the new demands that are on them, and whether or not they're actually delivering in the classroom, like I'm, I'm guessing that all the tools that you had to a track teachers' performance and b look out for teachers' well-being, I'm, I'm guessing that those systems don't apply in this new world. How how are you doing it now? Before before uh, deriving means to so-called tracking teachers and students' performance, I think some, uh, there's more something more fundamental. The more fundamental stuff is um, how we can prepare teachers uh, for uh, the new paradigm of, of uh, teaching and learning and, and uh, support to students with diversified needs. So uh, what we do is, uh, is uh, in terms of uh, hardware and software and professional development, this is what we have been doing throughout the past uh, eight months. But uh, uh, we, we set guidelines on uh, timetabling. Uh, we create a flexible timetable so as to facilitate teaching and learning to happen effectively and to promote students uh, being able to build up and uh, learning habits. So we have a school-based uh, mission on learning habits development for students, and we inform all parents about that. And we also uh, divine that uh, in a time when we cannot have face-to-face -face lessons, and uh, for majority of the form, form form one to form five, uh, we expect teachers to cover two-thirds of the curriculum during the period. Okay, yeah. and uh, we also uh, set restrictions on e-platforms to be used, guidelines on that assessment. We are not doing too much or uh, too 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 little. And uh, so we also give support to students and teachers on uh, device so that they can have uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, uh, the expectations of every lesson and missions of every lesson uh, uh, 
duly accomplished with mm-hmm. a good design. However, uh, starting from today, in fact, from eight o'clock this morning, we will have online lessons conducted, and gradually uh, we will visit classes. Uh, but the, the uh, my my um, uh, objective is not just to track how well teachers are performing. We uh, try to understand the situation, understand how learning also happens among students. Uh, we uh, uh, find out the gaps uh, from the teacher side, on the student side, and so that the, our administration, uh, the core team, can uh, derive uh, policies and measures that to to step up our <laughs> professional capacity. Uh, not only to, not not just to monitor, but to uh, understand and support. This sure. Is what I expected that I, as a principal, that I should, something that I should do. Yeah, I, I I get that, and I mean, but I guess parents are going to be concerned about whether teachers are effective, and you, you've kind of skirted around that point and said, well, it's more important to do this, this, and this. But I mean. Do we have any idea if, if teachers are being effective? Do you have any ways? Can can you drop in on classrooms uh, online, like in a Zoom class? Do you have access? You can just drop in, see how they're doing. Just you know, small checks. Uh, well, uh, this um, I will, but the way is uh, we will not just uh, come in uh, without any prior notice given to teachers. It is, mm. it is, I think, it is a mutual respect between the school. Uh, leaders and uh, frontline professionals that uh, I will inform teachers that, okay, during this uh, time slot, I will visit a number of classes mm-hmm. and I will join in as a, as an observer, as the uh, responsible, uh, responsibility of first school leaders to give support. Just like when we have face-to-face lessons in school, uh, principal in, and some senior uh, school leaders may also uh, try to uh, understand what is happening daily in, in lessons, but we make it online. Mm-hmm. We, we need to get, get, um, keep students and the teachers informed about this practice. Do you, I mean, you can't. I know you can't generalise, but do you think perhaps maybe a, a, quite a lot of children uh, won't be that happy about going back because they've just got so used to doing everything at home, doing everything online, their education and a lot of their socialising and their games and the sort of recreation and so on. Not wearing now uniforms. On, not, <laughs> don't want wearing uniforms and so on. Um, they're just quite used to interacting only through their computer now and not in real life. Is is that a reality? Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, I uh, keep communicating with my students, especially students from senior forms, because they are concerned about their academic progress in preparation for public examination, the uh, Hong Kong DSE. But the, what I've got from uh, the students' feedback is they long for going back to school, mm. and they uh, uh, believe that the learning doesn't just happen. Uh, by uh, going through all the curriculum, whether it is online or in face-to-face lessons. Um, they uh, long for uh, authentic learning experiences, exposure uh, uh, and through um, uh, extended learning experiences of various subjects they are, they are studying. 
and uh, uh, report uh, you have just mentioned is uh, the teachers uh, letter report between teachers and students and face-to-face uh, -face meetings and uh, personal uh, uh, interaction interpersonal uh, interaction is also crucial to to help them uh, learn to help them grow and to uh, uh, communicate with people that is important to them including their peers and the teachers and the coaches in different teams this is, this is what they are looking for but of course to prepare for uh, their face-to-face -face sort of uh, learning in school or classroom assumption uh, we need to keep an eye on uh, health measures. Um, of course, we have the experiences in the previous uh, May to June. In fact, the students returned to school. And uh, we have various measures, including uh, 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 the use of the use of face masks and uh, physical space hygiene and uh, uh, avoidance of the, uh, the oh, okay, so the, the keeping social distancing mm. in class and in student activities, yeah. and uh, whether we can move some uh, students' activities or extracurricular activities online. Some team coaches, sport team coaches, also uh, have innovations uh, that they have a part of their coaching activities moved online. Mm -hmm. So these are various measures we have been exploring so far to make uh, schooling, uh, to a certain extent, be uh, practical, effective, but still educational and meaningful. Okay. Also with us, as I say, is Mervyn Chang. He's uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. Mervyn, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I think the last time we spoke, you were uh, uh, with some other people lobbying the administration on uh, getting getting pupils back. Um, so, uh, are you happy with the arrangements? And um, you know, what, what do you think of the challenges? And uh, how's it all going to work? Well, so I think um, uh, at, at, at at this moment, and given the um, the COVID nineteen situation and the uh, and the, and the um, in fact the cases in, in Hong Kong, I think uh, that uh, probably is the best possible thing that can be done by the uh, by the EDB. Because on the one hand, I think um, <clears throat> schools in general and, and parents in in particular are quite uh, concerned with the uh, reopening of schools, uh, so that uh, the children's uh, learning progress would not be unduly uh, unduly disrupted. And, uh, but of course, uh, the EDB would need to balance uh, students' learning needs um, and also the, the, uh, the extent to which uh, schools can shoulder the responsibilities and, and, and all the associated pressures, as well as the, uh, the control uh, of the virus spread. So um, with all, all this in mind, I think uh, uh, giving half a day for active face-to-face uh, uh, -face, uh, classroom instruction to students and, uh, from September uh, 23rd and, and until um, <coughs> 29th, and, uh, schools will become fully operative in terms of the, um, uh, the, online uh, uh, the, the offline classes offered to students. <coughs> so all in all, I think uh, that's, the, that's a uh, satisfactory arrangement in terms of uh, 
reopening schools after a long period of shutdown. But on, on the question of uh, checking the, pro, uh, the learning progress of the students that, that was uh, uh, touched on the, uh, earlier on, I think the monitoring of uh, learning progress and also the students' uh, reactions mm-hmm. towards uh, online learning can, um, can also be, be achieved through uh, regular contacts with parents. Of course, some schools might, might, might also be doing that. Uh, for instance, uh, through mobile phones, uh, uh, WhatsApps, etc., and also uh, special online sessions, gathering uh, parental feedback can also be arranged. So that because uh, since students are, are learning at home, uh, through the on, on, online methods, uh, parents must also be in a position to understand and, and also uh, to know the, the, the kind of progress the children are making and also the difficulties they are confronting. Which is tough. I mean, parents got to work. <laughs> you know, uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta go to work. I mean, in schools, are like, oh, here, we've got a meeting set up for you at this time. And, you know, what about, especially for low-income people who aren't necessarily in charge of their schedules and sitting in front of a computer all day. I mean, this is... Uh, this is not easy. Uh, this is quite a, a peculiar period. Uh, it may not be entirely true that all parents are, you know, are going out, uh, you know, to work because, uh, of course, for for parents, uh, for working par- uh, for families with working parents, that's a that's a situation. But even in in, in, in these difficult days, some of some of the uh, you know parents might not have work at all, so they they. they <laughs> They are forced to stay at home, and, and in, uh, in doing so, I think one thing the electoral would like to do is to see how, how the children are progressing with their uh, study work. Yeah, so I guess wealthy titans and the unemployed can do it, but the, <laughs> the rest of us have got a challenge. Um, I, you know, are, do, do you think the measures that are going in now are, are quite adequate? I just want to, and are we taking examples from other places? I'm just going to uh, throw in here. Uh, Berlin has reopened their schools. They've got 366,000 students across their system. Since they've opened, they've had a total of 49 infections across teachers and students. Uh, they have up to 600 students that are out of class. So if somebody gets an infection, they'll pull the whole class uh, and you know put them at home and put them back on online learning. But only 39 out of 339 schools in their system have been affected. And so this, this has been seen as a, a big, I would say a fairly big success up to this point in Berlin. Do you think Hong Kong is equipped to have that level of success like i mean somebody's going to get the infection we're not going to have zero but you know the vast majority of students will be able to go back to school and have a normal somewhat normal experience well i think uh i have confidence in 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 a successful reopening of of, uh, of the local schools because um in hong kong students and also the parents are basically quite quite disciplined in their daily life uh, uh in relation to to the kind of uh, COVID-19 control. Uh, control. Um, I have studied quite a number of countries in in terms of their uh, uh, resumption of classes. Uh, The reason why some some are particularly, uh, uh, you know, failing in having a a smooth and also a a smooth and and, and healthy a return to to classroom learning is that they do not they have uh, haven't done sufficient sufficiently well in terms of the uh, say the antiseptic uh, preparations uh, you know, for 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 students and at the same time students m- might not be a, a sufficient uh, and also their parents might not be sufficiently vigilant in terms of the virus control. Mm-hmm. Some have not even wear, you know, put on a facial mask when going to schools, and then. To, uh, the kind of you know, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, might not be given enough equal attention. 
So that's a, that's the main reason why the, you know uh, the situation have, have lapsed into you know, such, such a deplorable state. Now, even in the United States, we have um, some of the cities uh, that are that are uh, quite smooth in in terms of uh, you know uh, we offering of uh, face-to-face instruction. But then there are, there are also some cities uh, that once they they start to offer uh, uh, classroom learning to students. Uh, for for a short while, then the infection, infection numbers have start to, to to escalate, and then they have to go back home, you know, for for online learning again. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on how well uh, our government, our schools, and also uh, the um, the parents uh, are preparing uh, for the children. And, and of course, the children the children will be travelling to school as well. So that means a lot. That means kind of a rush hour coming back, doesn't it? Which is which is kind of. Um, almost disappeared recently with people working from home and with the school children away. So, I mean, so the whole sort of uh, aspect of life, many aspects of life in Hong Kong will uh, will change and we'll get back to normal. The coordinator, I think, uh, you know, should be better, be better coordinated. So maybe schools can consider staggering uh, mm. their, their starting hours, their, their, recess, their recess time, et cetera, et cetera, so that... Uh, the, the, the risk of students getting infected uh, will, uh, and then also the teachers uh, uh, getting infected will, will become minimised. It would be nice if they did that. Do- Dr Ho, I mean, uh, over this period, it's been now, you know, kind of nine months with this very kind of spotty education, I think, for, for, for many young people in, in, in Hong Kong. Have they really missed out? It's, does it almost amount to like a year out of school for lots of people? Mm, I think uh, uh, this varies uh, from school to schools and communities to communities in terms of uh, uh, the academic progress. But uh, we, we have to um, uh, appreciate that one thing that, uh, in general, the education community have strived very hard to be quite innovative and creative to uh, derive the different means of student engagement so that uh, we will we we keep our students learning, not only on academic aspects but from non-academic aspects, and uh, we pay particular attention to uh, students' well-being, and we also take care of parents, and uh, w- w- with reasonable reasonable uh, uh, means and expectation, we get parents involved in learning about what is happening in school. Uh, how we prepare our students for uh, class resumptions or school uh, school lives. So, um, uh, as educators, this is an unprecedented uh, error in our uh, uh, education setting. We have the parents meeting go online, school opening ceremony goes online, graduation ceremony go online. But uh, why are we doing all this? We want to keep the public, our stakeholders, our parents and students, knowing that we care for them and we try to stay connected to to our students and parents. And so uh, when the the time that we can gradually and progressively resume school life, although we are facing different kinds of challenges that we will stay strong and face the adversity together. 
Okay. Uh, some comments. Uh, Jay in an email says, the Education Bureau is spending too much time for e-learning, e-learning particularly for kindergarten and primary schools. I want to see WhatsApp messages for pages of our school books that the children can complete. What's the point of spending 10000 a year on school books if the kids are not going to make use of them now? This government does not understand we need to buy computers, we need to buy printers, and more to the point, you're destroying their children's eyes, making job creation for the opticians. $10,000 handout doesn't go anywhere near when you've got to pay $400 a month for your internet and computer. It's pretty disgraceful that the Education Bureau has not done some sort of deal with a cable television to get decent programmes for education on the TV, not brainwashing us with stupid American programmes and violence. That's the take from Jay. Well, many thanks to our guest this morning, to uh, Mervyn Chung, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education, Education Policy Concern Organisation, and Dr Esther Ho, who's Principal at uh, Carmel Allison Lam Foundation Secondary School. Good luck to you and the uh, school. Just before uh, we go on, we're going to be talking about the mass testing in the second part of the programme. Uh, and a uh, comment from uh, Paisley. Uh, this is on restaurant opening hours. Uh, dear Backchat, the local food and beverage sector, which is one of the largest local employers, is on its deathbed. And while the government's decision to allow restaurants to open in the evening is a step in the right direction, it can do much more to help. As industry leaders such as Alan Zeman suggested, government should extend the evening opening hours to 10pm. For many restaurants, this minor adjustment could double nightly revenues by offering them to offer two seatings, for example, six to eight rather than the single seating, which the current 9pm deadline indirectly imposes. Those thoughts are from Paisley. Thank you very much indeed for that. We've got some uh, comments on uh, other issues, including the uh, question of the separation of powers, which we will get to uh, a little bit later. Regina Yip, uh, fun, uh, the uh, Executive Councillor, will be joining us to talk about that very topic come Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, the weather mainly fine and very hot, apart from isolated showers and thunderstorms. There's a very hot weather warning in place now. And let's see the reading. 29 Celsius at the observatory with a relative humidity now of 76%. To Kenoshan, stop the violence. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chats on our Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking in the first part of the programme about uh, education issues and uh, back to school. We want to talk now about the progress of the uh, government's mass testing uh, exercise, the uh, community testing. Uh, today, yesterday was the uh, first day. Uh, some 126,000 people uh, took part. Uh, officials have said that, uh, I think as of 8 o'clock last night, about 670,000 people have registered online to take part in the tests over the, the next few days. We're going to be talking about uh, how that's going, what are the push and pull factors to take part, Has the government convince people uh, to get tested. Uh, you can leave the thoughts with your questions and comments. Have you been tested? Will you Have you signed up for testing? Yes or no? Uh, let us know. It's all, of course, all anonymous. Uh, uh, you can do it on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can do it by calling us on 233-88266. Uh, or you could uh, email backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to uh, read out your comments so they may be edited for length and relevance and abusive language <laughs> removed. OK, uh, just before we get to that, uh, here's an interesting, here's an interesting uh, email. On, we've had a few on the subject of the, the separation of uh, powers. Uh, Regina Yip, the, uh, the Executive Councillor, uh, former Secretary for Security, will be joining us on, on Friday to uh, talk about this. We'll try and get some other academics and, and mm. so on to talk about the question of the separation of powers. It's something that she was talking uh, about uh, uh, 
with a considerable enthusiasm the last time that she was on uh, that there was no separation of powers in, in Hong Kong, that this should definitely be removed from textbooks and this is a point of view that has been echoed just uh, yesterday by the uh, chief executive so we will delve into that a little bit further. In the meantime, here's an interesting email from uh, Ed who says, Dear Backchat, I'm sure we can expect a barrage of unintended apagogical arguments stating that separation of powers does not exist in Hong Kong by which the pro-totalitarian commentator will be taking an extreme view that separation must be absolute. As no government anywhere in the world has absolute separation of powers, the term clearly means a degree a degree of separation of powers to suit the local situation, such as an independent judiciary or legislative chamber with the power to reject or delay laws. So these absurd viewpoints will be subjected to may play well to their handlers, but instead just prove to the general public the opposite, that Hong Kong does have separation of powers hours although being eroded by one of the branches of government, with the added benefit of showing pro-totalitarian politicians will say anything to curry favour. Who says uh, This is from Ed, who says, P.S. If you have a pro-totalitarian guest that again suggests the UK doesn't have separation of powers, can you ask them why the executive-led government in that country couldn't get a Brexit bill passed for years through the legislative branch until it was changed into something more palatable to the electorate? Ed, thank you very much indeed for that. And if you were wondering, and I had to look it up, uh, apagogic, proving indirectly by showing the impossibility or absurdity of the contrary. Word of the day. Word of the day, a good word, apagogic. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Uh, Matthew says, I think it's definitely, this is on the testing, it's def definitely more push and pull with regard to taking in the virus testing programme. However, it appears there was a bit of a push and shove in the battle for prime position at a photo shoot for pro-Beijing politicians to show enthusiastic support for the universal testing programme on Tuesday. And there's a, a video which has been posted on the Facebook page uh, it's quite interesting <laughs> next time priscilla Lung is on back chat please ask her if she's willing to condemn herself for using violence to gain an advantage over fellow patriots in a photo shoot <laughs> the farcical scene is symbolic of the chaos we now see as hong kong patriots scramble to reinterpret the separation of powers concept braced on their latest instructions from beijing with the ce telling us we never had it and ronnie tong assuring us we still have an independent judiciary Really, Ronnie? Irrespective, it's clear we have no democracy and no genuine second system, separation of powers or effective checks and balances. We didn't actually need the CE or <coughs> CCP to remind us of that. That comes uh, from Matthew. Uh, joining us now, we have uh, Civic Party legislator Dr Kwok Ki and Professor Benjamin Cowling, Professor and Division Head in the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Dr Kwok, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for, for joining us. How do you think that first first day went? Um, okay, um, put it this way. If we really want a so-called whole population test, uh, it actually doesn't, you know, fit into any criteria of so-called whole population test. But if you say it is a kind of practice, uh, such as what has been said by uh, um, CE or Mr. Yip of the uh, Secretary of the uh, Civil Service, Think that will be practiced for the uh, the fourth or even the fifth or the subsequent wave of spread of these or pandemics of the uh, COVID-19. Okay, this may be the case. Um, the one of the very important thing is you see the uh, turnout. Uh, I will as I will you know probably at the end of this uh, exercise will be maybe one million, maybe less than that will be one seventh of the population. Um, and 
of course the some intrinsic um, problem of the uh, of this test is that they will not be able to get the people uh, being stay at home or in the community. I think we've, we still had a lot of people coming into Hong Kong uh, under the exempted the policy. So it makes the situation quite difficult for us to have any hope to stop the disease or going back to so-called zero. Because, you know, every now and then people uh, have the privilege of coming to Hong Kong without being testing. So that makes the problem more... I, I guess the point would be it's not one thing or the other. That, it, that uh, it, Whether you call it, and I don't know whether you call it success or a failure if you have a million yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't want to you, put you, at least you At least you will have found some of the those silent cases. You will have found some of the people who are asymptomatic, and that's very useful. Yeah, and then, then when then in, inevitably, as you have to loosen the, the restrictions, um, there will be fewer kind of flare-ups. Now, I think whether to... Leave the restriction doesn't depend on the, the test of the and the result. If you really want to have that result from the test to prove that you can relieve the, relieve the restriction, that means you need to test the whole population, and you need to make sure that you no know, nobody will be you know found to be carrying the virus. If you you really want them, let them to walk around. But the problem is that, or the situation is that before these. Uh, announcement of the exempted policy. There has been some 20 days, more than 20 days, we don't have a, even a single case. That means, and, and that time it doesn't have anything related to the massive or the mass testing. The only thing the government has been done is they have a proper uh, border control. Every single person coming to Hong Kong will be tested. And that is the issue. And the, the present wave of the spread of a disease actually originated from this uh, announcement of the exempted policy. So we need to tackle this as a first step, first step, and which is most important step. And of course, if this step has been taken, then we can do other things like to you know, test every single citizen in Hong Kong, make sure that we, have, we can achieve the so-called zero infection rate. But without that policy being included in this, uh, the whole exercise, you know, they're just doing maybe one million or even two million doesn't, you know, have any effect on the future uh, policy, whether we leave the ban or the restriction on the social distancing. Ben- Benjamin Cowling from uh, University of Hong Kong Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. Is there a scientific value to this outside of disease control? Like getting getting a snapshot of a not a random sample. I mean, there's there's selection bias if you get a million people, but that's still a pretty significant number of people to, to get a snapshot of, of how many people are asymptomatic or how many people may be carrying it that we don't know about to, to give us a, a, an estimate of how many hidden cases there might be across the rest of the population. I mean, you know, is, is there a scientific value to this outside of just pure disease control? Yeah, no, of course there's a scientific value in finding some people who are uh, infected without knowing it having an idea of what we might be missing if the mass testing covers maybe a million people and there's another six and a half million not tested. We could scale up, you know, we could we could imagine pro rata how many cases we might be missing in the community. And that information would be useful for the government to decide what to do next, whether it's the right time to open up, whether it's the right time for schools to go back, I hope it is, uh, and, and other, other things as well. 
I think that the concerns about the mass testing haven't been about whether the information has value or not. The question has been whether it's worth paying for, whether the information is worth hundreds of millions of, of dollars, you know, a billion Hong Kong dollars, whatever it's going to cost. I'm sure every, you know, sociologist and any, any you know, anybody studying uh, epidemiology would lo- love to be able to spend the money to test a million people to, to check out their, their theory. Uh, but there's a cost involved. <laughs> it is, is the cost yeah, So if, if testing it. was free, yeah. then we could test everybody every week. For everything. No problem. I mean, that would be fantastic. Sure. Test everybody every week with no problem with the money. But the, 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 the real problem is, the situation is, it's costing an awful lot of money just to test people once. Yeah. And I mean, what, like, what, what value will scientists take out of this? Like, I mean, and, and has it been done in other places? I think the Dutch did a, a large scale uh, random testing of the population. And, and, you know, what, what kind of results yeah. they got Iceland, back? Iceland did a really nice study where they tested everybody months and months ago. And they found quite a number of asymptomatic cases. And from that, because they tested the whole population, Iceland's really small. It's, I think it's 300,000 people. Sure. They really learned a lot about COVID and actually the rest of the world. From the study in Iceland, the rest of the world learned a lot about it as well. Um, mass testing has been really, really useful in mainland China, in the big cities when they do stay-at-home orders, and then they do mass testing of everybody is mandatory, and then they can figure out what to do after the testing results come. Are the res- after the testing results come back, are the results of this test going to be shared with the global scientific community? Or a lot of people are worried it's just a big exercise in gathering DNA to ship up to Beijing, you know, ship up to China for for you know population, you know, for political control. But but are the results of this going to be shared broadly? Yeah, of course. So the scientific results would be fascinating. You know, if there's a ten cases are picked up among the million or so that, that end up being tested this week, mm-hmm. then that's really useful information to to indicate that. Maybe there aren't that many silent carriers in the community. On the other hand, if we were to find more asymptomatic cases or, or mild cases in the community through the mass testing, if instead of 10 it was 100 or even 1,000, then I think that would also be really, really valuable information for the scientific community. Is- and right now it's difficult to know what, what we might find, whether it's 10 cases, 100 or 1,000, you know, if, when we test a million. Do we know that that information is going to be shared? Like, are, are the universities plugged in and you know that, like, in three weeks from now, you're going to get a nice uh, package, you're going to get the raw data or, or something? Is it, you yeah, saying it would so be I, nice I, to I, get? Or do you yeah. know you're going to get that information and it's all ready to go? Yeah. So, so actually, a lot of this kind of information is already publicly available. When the mass testing results come out, um, I, I think that the cases will be reported in the same way as all the other cases are reported. So it will be possible to, to learn a little bit about the, the case is picked up through mass testing and, and maybe there'll be a little bit more detailed contact tracing of those. So there'll be plenty of information that will be accessible to scientists and that can be disseminated to, to the rest of the world. Okay, Dr. Kwok, um, an email from Michael uh, who says, in your discussions on COVID testing, can you follow up on these rapid response tests in Hong Kong? Quick testing can help us open schools, restaurants, travel, economy and livelihood matters. People can test every day and the government can distribute them widely. See what Heath Rowe is doing and there's a link uh, to a story about some uh, 22nd uh, tests that are being trialled by Heathrow. Do, do you know about these? And is this the way? Is this perhaps will this ultimately be the way out uh, for, no, for, for sort of instant tests? Basically, I, I think back, back to the issue now. Number one, uh, we want to make the make sure that the community is free of the virus. The only way in Hong Kong which has been proven to be effective is the border control. Without that, we can't make sure that you know people in Hong Kong will be safe. Number one, and number two. How frequent 
uh, we are doing the test. That is a very uh, important issue related to the resources. Now, if we test the whole population for one time, it was estimated to be at least 2.2 billion. So if we are going to test maybe 10 times, it will be 22 billion. So it is a lot of money. If you're talking about the situation in Hong Kong, we are running a deficit, a huge deficit. We are running out of money maybe at the end of this year. And we want to reserve mon more money to the health care. You know, we want to make sure that people, if they want it, they will have more a better, you know, infection control facility. We would like to rather to spend more money on building more in, uh, infectious disease blocks in Hong Kong. We should have three blocks instead of one in the Princess Margaret Hospital. We wanted to save money for smarter use, but, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. If you, you know, the border is so loose, people, hundreds of thousands of people are allowed to come in Hong Kong without doing any tests at all. And that is a whole issue. We are not, you know, uh, stopping the border, stopping people coming in. We just want to make sure that every single person coming to being tested, just like what we are doing at the airport, and that will be more than adequate. Yeah, is is it realistic to think, you know, say that we're going to get to zero and stay there forever and ever, even with testing at the borders and airports? I mean, New Zealand declared themselves mission accomplished, and you know, there are you know islands out in the middle of the Pacific. And then, bam, it's it's back on. Uh, and local cases, and they don't even know where it came from. I mean, is it realistic to think that we're going to go to zero and stay there? Either either Benjamin or, or Kwakaki, could you like to enlighten people us? Saying, yeah, people so, saying that we won't be go, going back to zero. But, you know, wearing a mask, uh, observe all the uh, hand hygiene and observe all the social distancing. At least we can help Hong Kong to, you know, prevent from... But the border control is the utmost important. It was proven to be effective. If you look into the figures in May, in April and May, you you will be realize what we have achieved in the past. Mm -hmm. Benjamin, what do you what do you think? Is it is is zero and catch it at the border a realistic objective? So I, I think we'll be down to zero within the next few weeks. Uh, zero cases on on some days, maybe not continuously for fourteen days, but we will get to zero. The question is then we have to relax some of the social distancing measures and then we have the potential for COVID to spread if or when it gets back into the community. And what we've seen, what we've learned, not only from Hong Kong's experience, but also from New Zealand, other places that have managed to successfully eliminate COVID, is that the virus will get back in sooner or later. We would prefer it to be later. So I agree with Kwakaki that the border measures are critical because those will delay the fourth wave but they will not ultimately prevent it. They will only delay it. We I, I guess, have a I guess for some, a few months yeah, rather guess, than a few weeks. I guess some people will say it's not a question of it going back in. It is there. It's already there. It's just asymptomatic. And the whole point of this mass testing is to is to bring them to the fore so that when we do relax measures, we're going to be in a better, uh, better situation. Well, we, in March and April, we got down to zero and we relaxed the social distancing measures in, in, uh, progressively in May and then in early June. And we were okay for a little bit of time. So I think that was without the use of mass testing to confirm that the zero really was zero. Um, but, but you're right, unless we really test everybody, uh, not just once, but a number of times, we may not be 100% sure that every single infection has gone from Hong Kong. But I don't think that's necessary, because even if and confirm that it's really zero, we'll still have importation of infections sooner or later. Even with 
uh, if the loopholes were all closed, which they've not been, even if they were all closed, we would still get the virus coming back in sooner or later. It's just impossible, ultimately, to stop it. It's impossible. For, do we have a sense of who's actually going to get the test right now, or is it too early to tell? Like my, my best bet would be, you know, hypochondriacs and little, little old ladies who aren't worried about where their DNA is being kept. Um, but is there, a, is there a selection bias in the people that are going? And, uh, you know, whereas the, the devil-may-care people uh, aren't going to get tested but might be at higher risk? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have any information on, on the, the characteristics of people that have taken the test as opposed to not taken it. And it could go either way. It could be people that, that think they might have been exposed but didn't want to tell anyone because they didn't want to get quarantined, but now they're going to be tested just to be sure. Uh, could be other motivations for people doing it. Uh, it'd be interesting to find out, but I don't know if we will be able to find out. I don't think those people were really being surveyed when they arrived at the testing centres. It was just name, address, ID number, and, and then get the sample and go. Dr. Kwok, is, this, is it simply um, uh, pro-establishment people will go for the test and pro-democracy people won't? You know, the basic requirement, you know, people who is able to, uh, you know, go to the testing center, you know, during this office hour, you you will be realized that most of the people going there will be elderly, retirees, uh, people uh, living in the estate. Um, those are the people probably more likely to be for establishment camp, but it doesn't relate to the political uh, background, but it is more likely to be elderly and, and retiree, which is able to, you know, go to that testing center. Maybe during the weekend, we may be seeing more, you know, uh, office worker may be able to go to the testing center. But uh, most of the time, if you want to work, they can't just attend for testing unless they after five or unless some, um, you know, company which is, um, you know, uh, they own company in Hong Kong. They will give the, the people uh, a, a vacation leave if they go to the forecasting and they have some bonus. There will be $500 bonus for those working in state-owned bank if they go to go for testing. And I was, uh, say I was informed that some of the civil servants, the head of the civil servant will give, you know, um, um, permission for those attending the leave uh, for, you know, time off. So that kind of arrangement usually come from some, you know, very big institution or uh, government organization, they will be able to do so. Most of the private enterprise, they can't afford, you know, going out for testing for half a day or even a whole day. Mm. So it, will, it won't be easy. Yeah, put it this way. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think if, you, if you've hosted Backchat uh, enough times, you probably know more people that have been arrested under national security legislation than you know have actually gotten COVID. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, I know, I understand that a lot of people, establishment, uh, political party, they're actually helping the residents to do all these, you know, um, requesting for a, a date, uh, getting, uh, you know, a time slot for them. And they, you know, if you look into those coming up from the testing center, we're given a small souvenir of 10 uh, surgical masks. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was informed by a lot of these guy forms saying that, they would go for testing because they wanted to also to get these 10 uh, surgical masks without, you know, free of charge. Or, or, or maybe they're just older yeah. people who are, who are more vulnerable and they've got a sense of civic duty and they're willing to put up with the with the um, it's discomfort. You know, a lot of people have said it's, yeah, yeah. it's not a very pleasant experience by, mm. by, yeah. by any means. Yeah. Uh, and to be given some masks, you know, that's just sort of basic human decency, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think it is, a, it is a, a wrong idea to be tested. It's only about, you know, 
the price we pay and the result we get and whether we can, you know, really target it on the problem of the spread of the disease. That mm-hmm. is the most critical issue. The question we need to ask about, you know, whether it is worthwhile to do this test again and again. Yeah, because, I mean, are, are people going to get a false sense of confidence? Uh, either A, because they go in and they get a negative test and they're like, all right, I'm, I'm doing everything right. I can do whatever I want now. Or if people go in and say, oh, by the way, you know, you, it looks like you have the antibodies. You were infected, but you're not now. Um, are they going to have a false confidence? Because now we're starting to see cases of, of reinfection. Yes. So this is the government's not yeah. testing antibodies. The government's only testing for the virus. For the virus itself. So if you had it and you got over it and you were asymptomatic or you had very mild symptoms, this won't pick that up. Is that right? The, the, the government's not testing for antibodies. They're only testing for the virus, so they will not be able to identify people who have previously been infected mm-hmm. uh, but have recovered. That's a different kind of test that that uh, is kind of more difficult to do. So there are some research projects in Hong Kong uh, recruiting people for those kind of studies. Right. And I think some private clinics can arrange for that testing, but the government is not doing it on a large scale. Is that a missed opportunity here? So, like, I mean, if they've got the people there and they're testing them already, should they be, you know, kind of doubling up? Uh, I mean, we said earlier that more information is, is always better, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's extremely expensive. That would be, you know, doubling or tripling the cost of the whole the whole uh, testing exercise and just finding that people have previously been infected but have now recovered doesn't help that much in deciding whether to reopen now because what we're thinking about now is whether there might be some people in the community who are still infected and mm-hmm. if we reopen too soon then there will be a resurgence in, in transmission from those local cases mm-hmm. okay interesting um so, uh, Professor Cowling, uh, for the you know we have very erudite listeners here at Backchat. I like to think um, if they want to be at the forefront of this research or see where it's coming out, presumably it's coming out of your your department, uh, your division. Where where can people find out more about the re- kind of up to the date, cutting edge research that you guys are working doing on this? Yeah, Google us, uh, Hong Kong U COVID. Uh, School of Public Health, Cowling. <laughs> I think Chinese, yeah. you're also doing a lot of important research. So it's the two medical schools that are really uh, leading, in some cases, leading the world in, in research into COVID-19 ever since the beginning of this pandemic. And uh, for, for my team, we do have some projects ongoing that we're looking for for participants in, looking at antibodies, looking at other things as well. Okay. Uh, so it's all on our website at COVID, I think covid.sph.hku.hk. Right. Um, but you can Google us and find us. So you have a special COVID page. I know everybody always talks about the John Hopkins tracker, but uh, you, you guys have your own yeah, special yeah, COVID one. page. Yeah, we've been tracking it for, for a while now. Okay. okay, question from Paul Zimmerman, uh, who says, with the subject line, secret asymptomatic carriers, can we learn more about these secret agents? How long after I get infected as an asymptomatic can I start to infect others? For how long do I remain an infection risk? That's from Paul Zimmerman. Do we know the answer to that? physicality uh, it's a good question it's a good question we don't we don't completely know the answer uh for people who are infected who will not go on to develop symptoms most likely they're contagious uh from a, a few days after infection maybe for a week or so we do think that asymptomatic cases are not as contagious as people with symptoms but at the same time if people who are having symptoms will isolate themselves or, or be be isolated by the government then maybe the asymptomatic cases because they're going about their normal lives would still have opportunity to infect other people. Um, and it's been really difficult in Hong Kong to identify those asymptomatic cases. The way we found them so far is through 
contact tracing from other known cases and also from the testing that we've been doing at the airport on people who arrive in Hong Kong and then we, we do find people who are positive without symptoms. Uh, with the mass testing now, I think we're going to find a few more asymptomatic cases, but we will not be able to say you know, how many there might have been in the past six months. So we don't think there's an enormous number, but uh, there, there certainly have been asymptomatic cases that have never been picked up. Mm. Okay. It, all related, it all related to the viral load, so-called the, the concentration of the amount of the virus in our body. So it may or may not be related, related to the symptoms. Some of the very young guys who is able to spread it, they have... Oh, I think we lost, we lost you there. Yeah. Anyway, related to the viral load, yeah, yeah, uh, and and how badly you you are in, infected. I think was the was the gist of that. Uh, Dr. Quat, thank you very much indeed for for joining us, Civic Party lawmaker. Thank you very much indeed to Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong, professor and division head in the division of epidemiology and biostatistics. Thank you all very much indeed. Just some emails to to finish off. Interesting comment on our Facebook page. Uh, thank you very much from a, an organisation called uh, CalHK. Uh, org. There's a link as well. That's Chinese as an additional language in Hong Kong. And uh, they say, on your previous program about the impact of online learning for Hong Kong students, a mother called in and asked, what will you do to help NCS, uh, that's non-Chinese speaking, students? I want to let your listeners know that our organisation is making English language support materials for some of the most commonly used Chinese language textbooks. We hope these will help non-Chinese parents navigate these textbooks and support their child. These support materials are free to print from our website and there's a link to that uh, website and the textbook support that they offer that's very interesting thank you very much indeed for that uh and uh jay says we have exams and tests coming up the only thing this test is the knowledge of the student at their particular age group tests prove nothing about the school now because we do not know who has taught the student it can be the domestic helper it could be the tutor it could be the school it could be the parent so tests now are relevant why is the education bureau letting politics into schools at all the education bureau should tell the government to butt out general studies and politics should be taught at about 14 to 16 years old up that is from uh jay and do you want to know more about mike mike hoffman a regular Cooler? Sure, sure. Are we okay. do are we doxing him or no? <laughs> Not that extreme. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Um, this is this is thoughts of Mike. Mike says it's typical of fascism and the left to want. To, this is not short. And the left to want to silence the opposition. Some forty-four years, many have heard my voice on this channel. I'll be here long after my critics are gone, Lord, uh, Lord willing. I'm not a one-trick pony, though I, I thought I'd give a list of topics I've fought for over the years. In the 1970s, against border babies, private hospitals used to make big money caring for newborn children for up to six months with parents only visiting at the weekends. I fought the administrations and brought this to the attention of many using RTHK as my personal platform. Ralph Pixton was narrator. Second, about the same time, challenging social services adoption methods. Adoptive children were held in institutions for six months before the new parents would take possession for legal adoption reasons. It was reduced to three months, but by then many were aware of the practice and fought to further develop foster care. Third, in the 1980s, Tunmun Highway was a death trap, three-lane, two-way traffic. When finally completed after more than a decade of construction, six lanes separated highway. The 50-ton guard rail barriers were insufficient to stop vehicles from jumping the central divider. I had many phone calls with Mr Lung at transportation. Uh, uh, I contacted highway builders 
in Los Angeles. Uh, Mr. Lung presented the solution to Transport Department. They rejected the idea. It was reported to me by Mr. Lung that Transport Department felt the barriers were sufficient as was until a double-decker bus fell off the elevated highway, killing many on board. My voice was heard scolding the then-Secretary of Transportation on open line. Backchat's former name, Steve Elwood, uh, presenter, I believe. Highway system was improved just a little late for hundreds of families. Fourth, in the 1990s, the illegal destroying of New Territory's wetlands with the filling in of those lands for container terminals and junkyards. The practice has continued for nearly 30 years, a hopeless battle. And fifth, currently my endeavour for balance and stopping the name-calling and personal attacks. If you have an opposing point, stake the fact and reasons, not your feelings and or vendettas. If you think someone is a racist or a fascist, understand the word first and give examples of the crime. Most can't but are allowed to use those words. Isn't that against some hypocritical keyboard warrior's own creeds? Thanks for letting me share the short list to write the book. Later, dudes and... It's the thoughts of Mike and the weather. Many fine and very hot, apart from isolated showers and thunderstorms. There's a very hot weather warning uh, now in force and a reading of 30 Celsius with a relative humidity of 75%. If your child was born on or before December 31st, 2015 and is to enter Primary 1 in a government or aided primary school in September next year, you should obtain the Primary 1 application form from the kindergarten or kindergarten-come-child-care center your child is attending, the Education Bureau or a district office, or download it from Education Bureau website, edb.gov.hk, from September 2nd to 25th this year. 934, the news with Samantha Butler. A legal scholar says Beijing misunderstands the concept of separation of powers, thinking it means Hong Kong can ignore the mainland authorities. University of Hong Kong law professor and senior counsel Johannes Chan was speaking after the chief executive, Carrie Lam, backed up comments from her education minister, who said it was factually incorrect for school books to teach that Hong Kong enjoyed a separation of powers between the executive, the legislature and the judiciary, despite critics saying this contradicted long-held beliefs about Hong Kong's system. President Trump says he'll rebuild the troubled city of Kenosha during a brief visit in which he described several nights of violence there as domestic terror. He ignored pleas from local Democrat leaders to stay away amid accusations that the trip was an election stunt. And the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo has republished controversial cartoons